fistful of cash. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? You are tuned into the newest episode of the Tuesday Touchback, which is part of the Fistful of Cash podcast. I am your host, Dale Lippin, and here with the co-host of all co-hosts, Soup. What is going on? Nothing much, man. Um, it was a hot day up here in, uh, in Pittsburgh. Uh, tied a record, 86 degrees. So you know what that means. My balls was hot. Um... <laughs> Just got to see Drew Brees um, pass Peyton Manning for all-time passing yards. So this is awesome. Um, they just gave him the ball. They just gave him the like the certificate. He's walking off the field, standing ovation. So this is a really, really cool moment for him. It couldn't happen to a greater guy, too. Um, one of the things that I've always really admired about Drew Brees is – I have never in an interview or, you know, seeing him interact with other people. And I have never seen that guy act um, like he's too good for any situation. He seems like he is present with everybody he talks to. He is uh, engaging in from fans to reporters to whatever. He just seems like a genuinely good dude. And I, you know, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Hats off to him. I'm super pumped about this. Yeah, this is a special moment. Like as a NFL, as a football fan, I will remember sitting here doing this podcast when Drew Brees passed Peyton Manning for all-time passing yards. Uh, He just handed the ball over to the Hall of Fame. Um, That will be in Canton uh, probably as soon as tomorrow, honestly. They're going to get that there as soon as they can. Um, yeah, you've got same I mean, thing with the jersey. You've got crying Saints fans right now all over TV. This is this is a big moment for the city of New Orleans. He was, as far as sports go, he, he was their savior. Um, you know, stepping in there after Katrina, all he did for the city as far as charities and stuff goes. So good for him. One of the most underrated quarterbacks of all time. The amount of records that he holds is unbelievable. Most four thousand yard passing seasons. 54 straight games with a touchdown, um, most 5,000-yard passing seasons, uh, most passing yards in a season when he broke Dan Marino's a couple year, years ago with 54-36, I think it was. Um, just a stellar moment for a stand-up guy. Yeah. Um, so he came in – his first year at New Orleans was right after Katrina, right? Was It, it was like the post – Katrina season like Katrina happened and yes. then yeah, yeah that's what I thought San Diego yeah yeah that's and that's it's wild, just amazing. I'm, I was sitting here watching the game with my wife and uh Drew Brees is in the huddle and she goes man is he a tiny little guy Drew Brees I mean in cleats is five foot ten on a good day and the fact that his size, he can see over those offensive linemen and be the most accurate passer in NFL history, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, that's what I mean. I had said that in an earlier episode this year. Not that that's like some hot take or anything like that, but just, I mean, I think that guy could legitimately go duck hunting with a football. Um, he's unbelievably accurate. I mean, it's not NFL related at all, but if you ever watch any of the Dude Perfect videos on YouTube, uh, his appearance on dude perfect is just otherworldly i mean the guy's an absolute maverick a sharp shooter for sure um and you know it's funny is that you you say that he's underrated despite having all these records and he's underrated because he's humble imagine if he ran his mouth imagine if he was you know uh tried to make himself have a personality bigger than the game or bigger than the team what that would translate to but instead, he's always been a team first. He's always been a service before self kind of guy. And it just, you know, 
can't. I, we we could spend all night saying nice things about Drew Brees. He genuinely seems like a good dude. I'm happy for him. Happy for the city. That's big, and they're having a good season so far. And you know, hopefully, this they just continue to ride this into the next, uh, you know, quarter of the, of the season or even half. I mean, I guess we're, we're not that close, but we're getting close to halfway. Yeah, right. One more thing on Drew Brees before we get into this past weekend to emphasize on the underrated thing. You ask somebody, you know, who are your top five greatest quarterbacks of all time? You're going to get Tom Brady. You're going to get Peyton Manning. uh, You're going to get Joe Montana. You're going to get the Dan Marinos. You're going to get the John Elways. You're going to get, you know, Brett Favre. Blake Bortles, right? Drew Brees, his numbers blow pretty much all those guys away. The only one who can compete with them is Tom Brady. Um, you can't knock Drew Brees saying he never won a Super Bowl because he beat Peyton Manning in a Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, it It's incredible. The guy's had an amazing career, and he shows zero signs of slowing down. I wouldn't be surprised if four years from now we're still seeing Drew Brees throw for 3,500, 4,000 yards, something like that. With the, game, with the way the game's evolving, goodness gracious, I mean – the guy might throw – he might break his own record. He might throw 5,500 yards. Yeah, I mean, think about it this way. If the game is what it is now five years ago, I mean, it would just be he, – he, not that he hasn't put up video game numbers before, but it'd just be so stupid. And I, I'm with you in the sense that if he chooses to – and he might, like, pull a Barry Sanders and just walk away. Um, if he chooses to, I mean, he can absolutely still be successful because one of the things – that you know really hindered the guys that he eclipsed tonight in Favre and Manning is that their arm strength went in. Uh, Drew Brees can still throw the ball sixty yards in the air. I mean that guy's got a cannon still. How old is he? Thirty nine, something like that. He's still got a cannon. Yeah. So I mean, just wild. So, all right, let's talk about NFL this weekend. Yeah. So from the good in Drew Brees to the bad, we did go zero and four in the NFL this weekend. Um, the Ravens let us down twice. They couldn't get anything going on offense. And I mean, they played good defense against the Browns. Um, you know, they lost in overtime. Justin Tucker had a field goal blocked. Um, so those, that was the, we hit, we picked the over on that. That wasn't even close. We picked the Ravens minus three. They lost by three. Um, we picked the over in the Vikings and Eagles game. The Eagles are suffering from one of the worst Super Bowl hangovers I've seen in recent memory. Yeah. They are not good. Jay Ajayi just went on the IR today. The Eagles are looking into Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure, you know, either one of those would tremendously help their offense, but they're going to have to give up defense in order to get either one, right. which is their strong suit. So, yeah, we missed the over on that by six points. And then, goodness, what was the other NFL? I don't even even remember. Drawing a blank. Well, that's not good. No, it's not. Oh, the Broncos. Boy, do they look bad. Oh, yeah, the Broncos Jets. That's right. Yeah, yeah. The Broncos just let up 300 yards to the Jets, and they've got Todd Gurley next week. Right. So they should write that ship uh, now. Or we might see a record-setting day for a running back next week. Yeah, I mean, and this is this is my. I'm not going to say it's all my fault, but there's a good part of me that that you know says that I should have interjected when we did the Broncos pick because I I'd have to look the stats up, but in my personal eyeball experience, and there is some sort of trend data backing this up. But when teams travel two time zones to play. It's some abysmal number as far as how successful they are in actually winning. And them going from mountain time to Eastern, um, I, I just, you know, not that the time zones are only to, you know, the, those aren't the sole things to, to blame there. But that was a game that looking at it now, you know, I, maybe they were in a, you know, a letdown sort of situation after that, that Kansas City game. I, I don't know. It was, it was a, this, these things happen when it comes to sports betting. So, and you know, you and I had spoken about this before. And one of the things that we do in this podcast, because, okay, let's put it this way. 
We are a podcast that talks about sports betting and gives picks that we like for it. We are not a handicapping service. There's a distinct, there's a distinction there. And we're also trying to capture lightning in a bottle every weekend because we're giving very limited scope picks. So if you don't subscribe to our Patreon page and you just listen to this show, you're getting five, six picks, which is a very limited scope. So if we miss two out of that six, our percentage doesn't look all that great. Whereas if we were to cover the entire slate of NFL games and miss four games, we would look like savants, if you will. Whereas if we give you four on the show and happen to miss all four of those, now we look like, you know, uh, the blundering idiots. It's like the, uh, the whole adage of, you know, uh, if you go on Jeopardy and come in last place, people still think you're a genius. But if you go on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and miss one question, everybody thinks you're an idiot. Because the stakes, when you, when you shrink the view, uh, become much higher. So I'm okay with those stakes, and I know you're okay with those stakes, but, you know, this is a sports betting podcast, a sports betting guide, uh, a guide to sports betting, not fistful of cash, handicapping professional, uh, you know, service, if you will. So we had a down weekend. We were in a letdown spot from going off of a perfect football weekend. We're going to bounce back. And, you know, sports betting is a process. It's not an overnight success. It's a process. Right. And you're not going to win every single week. It's not possible. Um, you point me to a guy who wins every single week, and I'm going to point you to a liar and someone who fabricates their numbers. Um, I mean, the best handicappers in the world that are charging thousands of dollars per week on NFL over a season are hitting, you know, 62, 63%. Right. So, and that I just, it is what it is. The super contest. I think the winner last year was like 64%. So it's like you said, it's a process. I mean, as long as you weren't with us for just this week, I mean, if you were with us last week and the week prior, you're still winning in NFL. You're still winning in college. You're still winning in UFC. So yeah. it is what it is. We'll get back this week. There's no doubt in my mind. There's a lot of juicy games this week. I was looking at the spreads already because I was anxious to get back at it. And I I, think I already have three lines that I really, really like as far as NFL goes. So I'm, yeah, uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. But I know we have a lot to cover um, this weekend. I I don't even know where to start with <laughs> 229 man this was this was nuts all right one of the most eventful cards probably no the most eventful card as far as just brawls comedy and sheer pandemonium oh yeah oh yeah i look I, i'm going to start i'll start from the bo- can we you you watch the pay-per-view portion of it right Yes, I so, saw, I, like I said, I saw the Gray Maynard prelim. I saw and I saw the final minute and a half of Sergio Pettis's fight, and then obviously right. the main card. But I did I missed the fight pass and the other prelims. I got you. Okay, so I'll do it like this. All right, I'm just going to run through some of these real quick because I did provide a breakdown um, of most of, the, of all the fights on patreon but i'm gonna just breeze through some of these real quick and just just touch on these before we get to the actual stuff that people could watch on tv so fight pass only prelims um tony martin versus ryan laflair i said on the breakdown that as long as or or even actually because i covered these on our uh tuesday touchback episode actually i went through these real quick as long as ryan laflair didn't fall in love with his boxing and actually uh, go wrestle heavy against Tony Martin, who had underrated kickboxing, he would be just fine. And what did LaFleur do? He came out, he looked his age, I think he's 35, 37, something like that right now. And, you know, tried to kickbox with a very underrated kickboxer. Tony Martin's a black belt in jujitsu, but any, he's got underrated kickboxing. What happened? He got kicked to sleep. Um, so, you know, 
LaFleur completely abandoned what got him to his record and got him where he's at. His age showed and he got, he paid for it. Transitioning into old and age, Gray Maynard uh, fought Nick Lentz. Neither one of these guys are spring chickens, but Gray Maynard is exceptionally old and he got kicked to sleep. So you're talking two head kick knockouts in two fights. Um, Maynard did not look good. He absorbed a ton of punishment and, you know, I think he should be done. Maybe not the send-off he was hoping. He will probably have one more fight, and it will probably be televised. I look for him to maybe come in as a featured prelim on a Fox card um, just so they can give him his just due. The guy is sort of a, a legend in the lightweight division. Uh, you know, those those fights with Frankie Edgar, if you haven't seen them, go back and watch them. They're fantastic. Uh, you know, he is, you know, I'm okay with calling Gray Maynard a legend in the lightweight division. I'm okay with that. He deserves his just due. He deserves a televised send-off. I look for him to take one more fight, win, lose, draw, retire, even though he should probably retire after that fight. Lena Landsberg, Yana Kunitskaya. Okay, I'm going to make two promises to you right now, Soup. Okay. Ready for this? I'm I'm not betting on women's MMA fights anymore unless they are championship fights. I'm not going to do it. Like the main event for 230. If that stays the main event. Right. I'm not, if it's a women's championship fight or a really high profile number one contender fight, maybe outside of that, I cannot in due diligence to myself or other people allow any sort of bet on, on a middle of the road women's fight. So I will not do that anymore. Um, so that's promise. Number one promise. Number two is, is that if I attempt to do it, and you call me out on it or somebody that listens to our show calls me out on it, I will let you pick said punishment for breaking my promise. Those are my two promises. Lena Landsberg, the queen of elbows, came out, looked gassed from the very beginning, and literally, uh, you know, I'm a Muay Thai champion. I want to fight in the clinch. Let Yana Kunitskaya just bully her for three rounds in one of the most boring fights men women animals doesn't matter it's one of the most boring fights i've ever seen in my life absolutely horrendous i regret even trying to break this fight down um both of those you know as a as a fighter they're avoidable to the nth degree don't do it um okay moving into televised prelims scott holtzman versus alon patrick i leaned patrick but this fight was so interesting i put on the breakdown to avoid it. And as such, I'm glad I did because I leaned Patrick, but Holtzman beat him with some of the dirtiest elbows I've ever seen in my life. He literally had the guy down, mount, palmed his face, and then just brought elbows down and landed about four of them um, before the, the ref came in and stopped. It. I mean, they were just vicious elbows. Um so I'm glad I said avoid that one. The next one, Tanya Evinger versus Aspen Ladd, a women's fight that I was smart enough to say avoid. I leaned Ladd on the breakdown, and Ladd ended up winning. Winning, She dominated from start to finish. Tanya Evinger looks old. She looks slow, and Aspen Ladd looks like a real contender. Um, the next one was Vincente Luque versus Jalen Turner. Jalen Turner. This is a short notice fight for both of these guys. Jalen Turner looked really good till he threw a really stupid spinning elbow, then got clipped with a hook and then got just slept. Um, they released the, the, the paydays, the disclosed paydays for everybody. Jalen Turner got paid $10,000, which is criminal. A fighter with the amount of money that the UFC makes is criminal to pay that man $10,000 to get his ass beat the way he got it beat. Um, and that's, that's bad. Vincente Luque deserves a top 10 opponent at welterweight. He should absolutely get one. That guy's a monster. All right. That being said, I'm done rambling about this. Let's get into fights that people cared about, fights that we cared about. First one, the feature prelim on Fox Sports 1, Sergio Pettis versus UCA Formiga. Did you watch this one? Yes, I did. Okay. Your thoughts? Um, dude, shout out to Shorty Torres. <laughs> He killed it. He, he absolutely killed it. He hit this fight on the money. Um, and like he said, it was probably, you know, his experience with these guys, but he hit this on the money. Um, it, I, 
it was crazy, man. He Formiga looked like a little spider monkey there at the end. And I know I know Sergio Pettis's thighs were shot carrying him around on his back for the final, whatever it was, two minutes, basically. Um, I mean, it was an entertaining fight and all. And, uh, you know, we hit on that. We took Formiga as the underdog. We took Shorty Torres' advice. I know that you were already leaning that way, but like you said, um, his opinion solidified it. And uh, that was, you know, that was a big win for us. That really helped us in our, you know, started the train towards our successful UFC night. Yeah, I'll say this about that fight. I'm glad Formiga won, but he did nothing in terms of raising his stock towards a title shot. Right. I mean, granted, beating Sergio Pettis, who I think they had at number two or three, I think it was a two-versus-five matchup. Or maybe that was Volkov-Lewis. Anyway, it doesn't matter. That was Volkov-Lewis. Yeah, he didn't do anything to boost his stock to say, wow, I really want to see that guy fight for a number one contender bout. Like, that's not – he didn't do anything um, to boost that. Now, you could make the argument that coming out and dominating the way that he did uh, is making a statement in, of, in and of itself. He had a game plan. He executed it perfectly. Obviously, you want to see the finish. But when you're at that like that hyped-up feature prelim spot where everybody's starting to get to the bar or everybody's starting to pull into the house and, you know, you're putting the food out and everybody's getting geeked up and ready to go, you know, making sure your plate's good for the first, you know, uh, pay-per-view fight. And you're there and you're essentially, for the uninitiated, the curtain jerker for the pay-per-view. It's on you to set the tone and make a statement. And I don't really feel like he did that, but he fought the perfect fight he needed to to beat. Sergio Pettis. So in that regard, hats off to you. But I don't necessarily know that he did anything to increase his stock in the flyweight division. No, I'm with you on that. Um, as from a casual fight fan, um, I'm sure that wasn't the most entertaining fight for them by any means. But like you said, Formiga fought the perfect fight in order for him to get the win. Um, winning is not you know, I I get the whole point of fighting is to win, you know, is, is to win and to beat your opponent. But like you said, you have to also raise your stock in order to get to your ultimate goal, and that's being a champion. And in order to get that championship shot, you have to impress, you have to put on a show, you have to give the UFC a reason to think, okay, this guy can headline a card, this guy can sell tickets and you know he can uh he can entertain fans in a championship bout right yeah i mean and here's the other thing too is that he's fought henry cejudo before and imagine coming out there and completely obliterating pettis and then saying you know cejudo where are you at let's run it back you know it, that that makes a bigger statement than what he did um but that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, you know, he got a quality win. I'm sure his next fight will probably be a number one contender bout. Um, I think that they owe Mighty Mouse in, in a rematch with Cejudo. I know they're talking about doing the whole Dillashaw versus Cejudo thing. Listen, Mighty Mouse defended that belt ten times in a row. If anybody in the world, and I, you know me, I hate immediate rematches. If anybody deserves a rematch, it's a guy that loses a, a you know, a split a decision, right? Yeah. A questionable decision on his eleventh title defense. Goodness gracious! Why? Why don't you? It should already be common knowledge that that's going to be the fight whenever they're both medically cleared. You know what I mean? But yeah. They're, 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 I don't know. Anyway. All right. Pay-per-view bouts. Felice Herrig, Michelle Waterson. I was wrong on this. I was wrong. I was wrong. Hands up. I was wrong. Felice Herrig and, you know, wrestling heavy fighters have been known to give Michelle Waterson fits in the past. And I've said that before, but I also alluded that Herrig has had a lot of mental execution errors and she came out and looked like a head case from the jump, afraid to pull the trigger, afraid to go for takedowns, basically just afraid uh, from the first time that she walked forward and Watterson threw that T-kick right to her sternum, she was like, oh, okay, I don't want to fight anymore. And it was all Michelle Watterson from there on out. Hats off to Michelle Watterson. She fought a perfect fight. Took zero damage. Zero. Looked perfect after the fight. 
Um, and that was because Felice Herrick literally just played the mirror game and just stared at her um, and just waited and just ate head kick after head kick. So uh, hand up on that. Head case Herrig, I thought, was done, but apparently she's back. Again, another reason why I'm completely avoiding women's MMA. Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, I do, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not trying to take credit or anything here, but um, I do remember throwing out the, you know, counter argument of what happens if Michelle Watterson can get Herrig on her back and maybe exploit her a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, I was, I was surprised to actually see it happen. Um, I definitely thought, you know, little bulldog was going to pull this out. Um, but like you said, Michelle Watterson took zero damage. Uh, she, she dominated for sure. Um, she looked great. Yeah. I mean, she absolutely did. Uh, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know another way to, you know, really sum up this fight other than Michelle Watterson came in ready to execute and executed and Felice Herrig came in and under the bright lights just crumbled, you know, despite having more control time, she landed almost 60 less total strikes than Michelle Watterson. And she was outstruck significant strikes, 76 to 51. So, it was all Michelle Watterson offense all the time, despite Felice having somewhat of a little bit of control. But when she did have control, she didn't do anything with it. So, you know, it's not, it wasn't a good look for her. It, you know, I, like I said, it wasn't what I expected. Um, and, you know, again, uh, just adding fuel to the avoidance of women's MMA fire. So, but speaking of fire and uh, things that are hot. Yeah, buddy. My balls is hot. Derek you Lewis in his hoe. <laughs> Donald Trump called me, dude. Uh, Lewis versus Volkov. Besides, I mean, okay. For being a snooze fest of a fight, for the most part, it was still pretty entertaining in the sense that, um, from a fight standpoint, and we'll get to the knockout in the, the post fight interview, um. You know, our play was the under two and a half, correct? Correct. Right. So in the first round, when it looked like Volkov shattered Lewis's orbital, and every time he hit him, he just grabbed his eyes if he had somehow been poked with a stick that nobody saw. I spent most of the first two rounds screaming at the TV for Volkov to do about 30% more than what he was doing because he had every reason to like there every reason existed for them to stop that fight. All he had to do was just stay on him a little bit. If he would have just, just pitter pattered a little bit more with Lewis. So being so obviously hurt and winded, they would have stopped the fight, but it was right when Volkov needed to, you know, take it from third to fourth gear. He was like, all right, I'm gonna take two steps back. And I, I, I don't understand where that came from. I mean, so that- this was a prime example of what we were just talking about with Formiga as far as – I mean the, I don't want to dive right into the end of the fight. Um, like you said, the, the whole orbital thing, the fact that Volkov didn't use his reach and just keep throwing jabs and you know keep bugging that eye from Derek Lewis was amazing to me. Um, it's like he wasn't aware you know he he didn't see what the you know millions watching around the world saw um right. as far as Derek Lewis being hurt but when it comes down to the end of this fight we were talking about this earlier um the fact that Volkov was squaring up with Derek Lewis as if he was down to nothing in the rounds and needed a knockout this is the prime example of the whole formiga thing that we just said a win is nice, but you need to make a statement to move up in the rankings and get yourself a title shot. And like you told me this earlier, you thought that that's why Volkov was standing there. He needed to finish Derek Lewis in order to make that statement. Yeah. I didn't really find this fight a snooze fest just because I was on the edge of my seat because I, you know, you and I know from watching the black beast so much we know that all it takes is one shot from him. 
And every time he cocked that right hand back, I slid a little bit closer to the edge of my seat thinking, okay, here it comes. This is it. And, uh, dude, my goodness, what a knockout. Yeah. What, what a shot with what, 13 seconds left. Unbelievable. Like yeah. One of the things, I mean, I'm not going to, this is the last negative thing I'm going to say about Derek Lewis in, in terms of, you know, he had an absolutely quality win. Um, Guys that have one punch knockout power and they know it tend to be better about their measurements of executing that one punch. So if you look at like like a Dan Henderson fight, like when Hendo would fight, everybody knew, oh, all you have to do is avoid that right hand. But Dan Henderson always knew exactly how far away that right hand was. Same thing with guys like Roy Nelson. Roy Nelson always knows exactly how far that right hand is. Mark Hunt always knows how far away that right hand is, always knows how far away that left hand is. Derek Lewis seems to swing and miss a lot because his his perception uh, of distance is wrong. And when he does hit people, he hits them flush. And, you know, obviously, for the most part, when he hits you flush, that's it. But you'll see a lot of guys that have better timing and better spatial awareness. They'll hit guys moving backwards. They'll hit guys moving forward. Derek Lewis sort of needs you standing still, right? Which make, makes me wonder whether or not the guy actually need. Yeah, you know, I'm not be, trying to, again, not being mean here. If he wears contacts and doesn't wear the contacts on fight night or something, like his depth perception is just a little bit off. You know what I mean? Like get some LASIK or something, maybe, or just I don't know. Maybe he just doesn't care about trying to measure it out. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not. I I I hear you on that because it was like the entire third round. He knew he needed to knock him out, and I even the 30 seconds prior to knocking him out, Derek Lewis threw three or four, uh, three or four big shots where he missed by probably four or five inches. I mean, they weren't even close. Right. So I okay. So let's get to the knockout. First of all, super scary knockout. Um. The mouthpiece didn't come all the way out, but it came pretty close to coming out. And then he absorbed, you know, glancing and then flush blows, probably seven once he hit the ground. And, uh, you know, just like Travis Brown, who I think is essentially retired now after fighting Derek Lewis, Volkov's going to have to take a long time off. Um, a knockout like that is not something that you quickly recover from. I would say conservative estimate, it's at least a year before we see Volkov back in the cage, if he comes back sooner than that, that's doesn't matter who it is. It's absolutely pound the line against Volkov. You do not bounce back from knockouts that brutal, that fast. Uh, Derek Lewis absolutely, you know, tried to make spaghetti sauce out of his face when he was on the ground. Yeah. And I want to give, uh, I believe it was, I, I believe it was Herb Dean. Um, I want to give big ups to him because Volkov had his hands up and then Lewis landed the knockout shot and Dean actually got in and saved him from one more. Derek Lewis cocked back with the hammer fist of all hammer fist coming and he actually saved him from having, you know, from just being a mush brain. Um, But yeah, it was gross, man. It just, that right hand landed so flush and when he was stumbling backwards and Derek Lewis, Derek, Derek Lewis pounced on him, I jumped up and I think I was high-fiving, you know, the people at my house before <laughs> he even knocked him out because we all knew what was coming once he got on top of him. Right. Yeah, I just – I don't know, man. It, it's just absolutely wild. Um, I, I was – I was blown away, and you know the the it's it's crazy because the knockout itself was eclipsed by the post fight interview, which Once is newsworthy. Yeah. So uh, for the uninitiated, if you, I'm going to go ahead and play it for everybody. <laughs> All right. Yep. All right. Derek Lewis, Derek, watch you take your pants off. 
My balls was hot. I understand. Listen, man, what you just did was absolutely phenomenal. That was an incredible comeback victory. And it, it shows one of the reasons why people love to watch you fight. That you can put it all to bed with one shot. I told the boys, I got my heart. You know, they keep underestimating me. I ain't all that technical and all that, but I'm getting there. No one will question your heart, sir, after this. This is a come-from-behind knockout, the likes that we haven't seen in a long time. And you were looking for that big haymaker all night. You found it in the last minute of the fight. I forgot a few hours before the fight, Donald Trump called me and told me I got knocked this Russian back because they're making him look bad on the news. You know, him and Putin. They're talking about USA and his whole Listen, Derek, you came into this fight the number two contender with that knockout. You're absolutely one of the top guys in line for a shot at the title next. So tell us what you think about that. I need to sit my black ass down do some more cardio. What you talking about right now? I ain't trying to fight for no title right now. I don't have no gas tank right there. Listen, Derek, you're one of the most entertaining guys in the sport. Congratulations on an amazing victory. And thank you very much for a really, really entertaining fight. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I don't know if there's been a better post-fight interview in my entire life. I don't know if I've ever heard one. No, not even close. And, you know, I know th- we cut it off. But even at the end when he says, maybe in a week, maybe in two weeks, I can come on your, come on your show and smoke weed with you and shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to love the guy, man. He is He is pure entertainment inside and outside of the octagon. Like Joe Rogan said, if you don't follow Derek Lewis on Instagram, you need to. His oh, Instagram is incredibly hilarious. Um, all of his interviews, I know uh, Curtis Blades was running his mouth about Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis had some choice words to say. Um, he got asked today again if he was considering a title fight. And he said something along the lines of, she, I can't even fight for three rounds, let alone five. I ain't ready for that. So at least he knows, you know, he knows his cardio and his stamina is not where it needs to be to go into the championship rounds. Um, but my goodness, is that man entertaining? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, this is a guy that a couple of years ago said that he was going to retire once he got his house paid off. Like he was fighting in the UFC to pay his house off. And then he actually paid his house off with, with his fight night bonuses. And they asked him if he was ready to book another fight. And he was like, I might just retire because I ain't got no bills. So, (laughs) I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of ingenious. I mean, you know, nobody is looking at that dude going, he's running cardio. Uh, You know, he's literally coming in and just using the skills God gave him, which is knockout power. And he's wildly successful. You know, you have to avoid one thing, a right hand, and you can't do it. So it's just absolutely crazy. So, you know, transitioning away from Derek Lewis and going from one dimensional to multi-dimensional. I got one more on Derek Lewis for you. Okay, go ahead, go for uh, it. I got a question for you. So yeah. when a, when guys are in training camp, when when they are you know training for their fights, how how like how long each day do you think they spend training? Derek Lewis or just no, no, no. guys in general? A, a general UFC fighter. Oh man, I would say it. <sighs> between wrestling practice and striking. and I mean, it's got to be at least four to six hours, I'd imagine. Derek Lewis said today that he used to train for 30 minutes a day. I'm not surprised by that at all. This fight, he trained for an hour a day. He said, if I want to fight for a belt, I think I might need to up that time. Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. <laughs> Can you imagine? Dude, I just... <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious to me, man. That's hilarious. Yeah. He got outstruck 133 to 40 and still won the fight. Yeah. Anyway. All right. From one dimensional to multidimensional, OSP, Ovin St. Preux versus Dominic Reyes. You and I spoke earlier. I don't have enough good things to say about Reyes. He looks absolutely fantastic. He's much, he is a must watch light heavyweight and the, breath of fresh air that that division needs. Yeah, he he's got the body of a light heavyweight and the stamina 
well, no, I wouldn't say. I guess not stamina. No, the stamina. the quickness and the like quick twitch, just accuracy of almost like a bantamweight in the first round. He was unbelievable. Yeah, what he I mean in his brute strength, he's so deceiving. How strong he really is. Um, OSP is not a small man by any means. And his ability to stuff OSP's takedowns and instantly turn him and put him up against the cage, just it, it was honest. It was amazing to watch. Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna breeze through this because I want to get to Connor Khabib. Um, but Dom Reyes is the future of the light heavyweight division. If he can get a better gas tank, his stand up is on point. It's gonna take a real next level grappler with decent standup like the current champion to really give a guy like him fits because until somebody can figure out how to manage that guy's speed, his crispness, his accuracy, he's going to be a problem. I would actually like to see him fight Jimmy Manoa. I think that would be a fantastic fight. Um, So moving away from that to even though it was only two rounds, maybe contender for fight of the year in Ferguson versus Anthony Showtime Pettis your takeaways from that fight I I mean it was amazing (laughs) like dude 10 minutes of just pure entertainment Showtime was exactly that Um, he said in the pre-fight interview he was going to welcome you know, he was going to welcome Tony Ferguson and he was going to bring him into the chaos. Um, and that's exactly what he did. I've never seen a guy covered in blood like that, smiling and winking back at the man that made him that bloody. Um, we both were kind of hesitant on Togi, Togi, Tony Ferguson coming off, you know, his big layoff and his injury. Um, but my goodness, that, if that Tony Ferguson shows up every time he fights, I fear for the uh, for the man across the octagon from him. That was he was a man on a mission. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. So two takeaways from this fight. Uh, our pick um, was, you know, I was on the fence between the under two and a half and Pettis. Uh, Pettis was coming in at plus 285. I thought the value was there. And I think it was, still was because in the second round, Pettis cracked Ferguson with that straight right hand because I said Tony's going to walk with those hands down. And Pettis hit him with his flush of a right hand as you're ever going to hit somebody with. And in doing so, broke his, own, his hand on Ferguson's face um, and had him in every shade of trouble you could possibly have him in. You know, I told you earlier, I think that if Pettis doesn't break his hand on Ferguson's face, he finishes him there and we're cashing out a plus 285 underdog. I think the hand break is what prevented that finish. I'm not mad about taking a loss on that one because that, like we had said, that was such a winnable fight for Pettis and he was one broken hand away from actually I mean, putting himself in position to win that fight. It was one round apiece going into the third. The The tide was turning in Ferguson's favor. I don't think that Pettis was going to win that fight short of a Hail Mary. But that straight right hand that, that, you know, that, that he landed that caused his hand to break was the X factor that you and I alluded to that made us believe in the value of him at plus 285 over the value of the under two and a half at plus 100, which was also a good deal. You know, I said that the uh, the smart money was in the, the under two and a half. So maybe some of you took that, but I thought the value was in Pettis at plus 285. I'm not mad at losing on that sort of pick on a dog because it wasn't like he went out there and just got snuffed out like a candle. Um, it was a highly competitive, like I said, maybe contender for fight of the year. Absolutely awesome bloodbath. And, you know, if... The stakes weren't so heavy for the next fight, plus all the post-fight antics. Maybe you could make the argument even stole the show. So um, an absolute treat to watch as a combat sports fan. Similar to, if you guys haven't watched it before, depending on what you know, age or interest level, uh, Marvelous Marvin Hagler versus Tommy the Hitman Hearns, Eight Minutes of Hell, 
Highly recommend watching that. Uh, spoiler alert, it's only eight minutes long. It is the boxing equivalent to the fight uh, that was Tony Ferguson versus Anthony Pettis. The only difference is that Hearns and Hagler did not like each other. And Ferguson and Pettis have had nothing but mutual respect from each other or for each other rather since the very beginning. All, all that to say, fantastic fight. Maybe, like I said, fight of the year. Um, if you take the weight and the gravity of other fights away from it, like the main event of this uh, uh, of this card, it it becomes more of a shoe in in that category. But fights like the main event, Khabib versus Connor. Um, you know, this is why people, th- that's why people bought this card. So, all right, dude, Khabib versus Connor. What do you got? Not enough. I mean, we called it to a T. Khabib, all he needed to do was shoot the ankles, get a hold of Connor, and get him down on the ground. And within the first, what, 35 seconds, boom, shot the ankle just like he did, did against Ally Quinta and took him down to the ground. Um, that the whole, you know, pinching and crossing Connor's legs in between his thighs to just maintain control and not let Connor move um, was impressive. You know, he controlled the entire first round, did it again in the second round, um, was able to actually stand up and get some really good ground and pound in where I thought he was going to be able to finish Connor, but Connor withstood it. Um, and then Khabib went away from his game plan completely. And I, in my opinion, I think this was more of a pure hatred for Connor. And I think it was the fact that he wanted to knock him out. He wanted to beat him at his own game. And he stood there the entire third round and threw hands with Connor, which scared me the entire time because we all know, like you like to say, he's got a stick of dynamite attached to his left hand. Yeah. Um, every punch he threw, I was afraid that it was going to catch and Khabib was going to go down, but he did not. And then in the fourth round, once he got him on the ground and it, I'll let you emphasize on what you saw as like an emotional turn, like a, like a, like a switch flicked in the, in Khabib's head. But, um, yeah, when he, when he, didn't sink in the rear naked because it was on his chin. It was more of like a neck torque. Um, that could have ended a lot worse than it did. Uh, but yeah, man, just an absolutely dominating performance that is getting overshadowed by the antics afterwards. But as far as a fight fan goes, it was just absolutely incredible to see somebody so proficient at their at their uh at their skill and just dominate for 19 straight minutes the way he did yeah i i'm with you now listen i'm not i'm not a big connor fan um i don't like his attitude i'm not particularly impressed by the people that he's beaten um and i really don't like the hype train around him I think his uh, I think his trash talk game is just a washed up version of a mixture between, if you want an MMA version, Chael Sonnen. If you want boxing, obviously Ali. The only reason why people think it's good is because he's the only person that does it. Colby Covington tries to do it, but he's too late to the game, so now he comes off as a knockoff. Um, you know, when Connor came in. And started talking trash the way he did. It was at a time when more like guys that were doing MMA didn't realize the value of their personal brand and still held on to what Khabib hold on holds on to is the value of martial arts and respect for opponent. Connor does not have that. I don't care about how the UFC plays this narrative that he's humble in defeat. Well, every time he's been defeated, it's because he's been bettered. Uh, you know, obviously in the fight, but bettered by, you know, in character and in execution. Um, I'm with Khabib and his manager. I don't think Connor's a good person, regardless of what people say. Um, and it was, you know, if I'm being 100% honest and a little bit biased, it was nice to see somebody that talks the way he does and disrespects not only the game, but people. I don't care about fight promotion, Res- disrespects people that way. 
um, get a little bit of comeuppance. And I like that a lot. A couple notes on the fight now that I've said that. Connor cheated the entire fight and still lost. Um, in the first round, he threw what appeared to me to be 11 elbows to the back of Khabib's head while he was securing that takedown up against the fence. That went completely unnoticed or unchecked by um, Herb Dean. There was also the very obvious toe curling and grabbing around the fence, trying to spin his his hips to gain position that Herb completely ignored. Even after um, being warned. Even after he being quote-unquote warned. And then 15 seconds later, it was back it, in the fence. And, and then he and just decided not to say anything about it. Right. He just decided not to say anything about it for the next five times that he did it. Um. He was on camera grabbing gloves, which Khabib took the time to look to Herb to say, hey, he's grabbing my gloves. Herb said nothing. Um, he also grabbed the shorts in that one takedown transition. Nothing. He also need Khabib in the head, a need to a down opponent. Whenever Khabib had side control, nothing was said. Um, also, in the second round, when Khabib rocked Connor and got him up against the cage and was waylaying on him, granted, Connor was doing a decent job of defending himself, but you cannot tell me, anybody listening to this, you can't tell me in your heart that if that was the other way around, that they wouldn't have stopped that fight. Herb Dean would have stepped in almost immediately and stopped that fight. 100%. Um, so there's that, okay? Going to what you're saying about the, the neck crank, I noticed in the fourth round, I've watched the fight since live i've watched it again um first of all i know that they try they removed dc from the commentary crew because they wanted to keep it as um unbiased as possible i like dominic cruz i think he's good at announcing i think he's got better, one of the best fight minds in the game most of this pay-per-view though not not just talking about this main event i'm listening to this guy going what the hell are you talking about because in the same breath like at the end of the second round, he says, don't forget, Joe, Khabib could do this all day. Comes out in the third round. Khabib looks tired. Wait, what? 35 seconds ago, you said he could do it all day. Now you're saying he looks tired. Um, He's also saying that Connor was getting the better of striking exchanges, which I don't agree with. O- obviously, um, that that's that was not true. It just seemed like I don't understand. Why, anyway, that's Dom Cruz, different, different thing. Um, there is a little bit of that, but anyway, going into the fourth round, the narrative, the personal narrative for Khabib seemed to change in the fact that he had like this stoic, well-weathered, calm disposition for rounds one, two, and three. Round four, he comes out, shoots a takedown, gets a hold of it. If you go back and you watch it or just watch the ending, the ending sequence, he starts opening his mouth and he has this pained, like exasperated look on his face, like, like, like he's expending all of himself into what he's doing. It was like, you know, how Tyson would say that he, he would imagine that his opponents were going to kill him. And that's how he would come out and fight. And that's where his ferocity came from, is that he would imagine that his opponents were going to kill him. He would stare at the clock in the back and think, oh, you know, five minutes until I go out there and I fight this guy and he's going to try to kill me. And that's where, why he would come out and literally try to just take your head off. It was like Khabib flipped that switch in his head and was like, if I don't kill Conor McGregor right now, he's going to kill me. He had like just this overwhelming like body ache as he latched onto him on his face. And I told you this before, and I'll say it again. He had that neck crank and Conor was in that seated position. I I'm, I'm telling you, man, if he, if Conor was face down or in any other position, with the amount of hatred that Khabib has in his heart for Conor McGregor, I would not have been surprised if Khabib pulled like a Husamar Paul Harris and held on to it longer than he needed to, or moved his hips, or rotated a little bit and tried to inflict serious damage on McGregor's back and neck. I would not have been shocked at all. But I think he was aware in that seated upright position that anything that he can and should have or could have done was too highly visible. So what he did was he held the submission about three seconds, four seconds after Connor tapped. Um, and it probably would have been 30 or 40 seconds long, longer if his hands weren't pried apart. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, think for sure. You have no intentions on letting go. No, I mean, let's put it this way. If this was like on a dusty field or, you know, in a back alley or something like that, Khabib would have killed Connor right there. And then they would have hit his body in the dumpster and that would have been the end of it. And here's the here's the thing, right? And we're we're approaching an hour, so I'm going to wrap a lot of this up with this with this Khabib thing. McGregor talks a lot of shit, obviously, and says a lot of things about how all his people ride together. And if you go to war with him, you go to war with all of them, so on and so forth. And that's great fight promotion. But he's talking like from a neighborhood standpoint, right? His gym is his neighborhood. So that's sort of like saying, you know, like me and you and all the kids we grew up with, we sort of stand together if need be, right? Cool, your gym. You go to war with one of us, you go to war with all of us. He's talking to people that literally are like clans of people. Like, you know, these people live in small subsistence-based communities where everybody has to pitch in and everybody has a place. The social hierarchy is even because everything is expected to be equal amongst peers. So everyone has to carry their weight. So when one of them goes to war, legitimately, all of them go to war. I mean, that's why the regions that like Khabib and, you know, the people that he yeah, descends from have been under various rule from warlords for the last hundred plus odd years because that's the way people get down. You literally talked gangster war shit to a guy that is about that gangster, you know, for an American way to put it, is about that life. Um, and then the flip side of that is you went after the dude's religion. Um Khabib Nurmagomedov is not a is not Muslim in the sense that like when we in America think Muslim, what a Muslim person looks like. Khabib Nurmagomedov is a guy that probably grew up in a region where Orthodox uh, Catholicism is probably prevalent, and then Islam moved in. So he comes from a line of people that are introduced to a new religion, and when that happens. They fundamentalize more so than somebody that just, say, comes to church on their own at a different point in life. So, uh, you know, you say to Khabib, we're going to war. Khabib's looking in the Quran to see what it says about going to war and defending the name of the prophet. So when you go in there, you start talking all kinds of crazy about what this dude believes. He's coming at your neck and all of his people are coming at your neck and you should have known better than to start saying some crazy stuff like that because that was not fight promotion to him. That was that was an offense on himself, his people, his ancestors, his lineage and his beliefs. And I you know, it was a subtle thing and not many people caught it, but when Connor offered him a glass of whiskey, that was like one of the worst things that he could have done because you know, as well as I do, Muslims don't drink. So it was like him forcing that on him was like personally invading the private space of his belief and things that he holds sacred. Dude, Khabib jumping out out of that cage and going after Dylan Dennis and Connor's team and the rest of those guys coming in and doing that. That was the least surprising thing that happened Saturday night to me. Because that was, you know, that's how those dudes get down. That was like, that was coordinate. I'm, I don't care what anybody says. Khabib's mind from the jump was, I'm going to submit him and then I'm going after and then my people are coming with me. That was, that looked like a coordinated attack more than anything else. Um, I don't agree with McGregor being assaulted after the fact by guys jumping in the cage and punching him. I don't agree with that. Gloves on, sanctioned fight, that's a sanctioned fight. No gloves on, guy runs in, punches you, that's assault. But what about the I mean, Connor did throw the first punch at Khabib's team. Which is assault. So that's assault. Yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, if I mean if you get hit, are you gonna hit back? Absolutely. So, and you should. Yeah. And you should and you know what but you know what that was? Khabib jumping the fence and going after Dylan Dennis, that was the counterpunch to Connor's verbal punch right. in the build up to the fight. So, you know, the way these Russians, the way, you know, the, these Dagestanis, the, 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 the way these guys operate is that's cool. 
um, you know, you hit me with a fist, I hit you with a bat. You hit me with a bat, I hit you with a knife. You know, and if you bring a gun, you better be prepared to go to war is essentially how these guys operate. Khabib just escalates the threat necessary to stop the upcoming threat. So what do he do? He neutralized Connor and then he went to neutralize the next threat. That's the way these guys get down. Again, this just goes into Connor, Connor's bullshit, not knowing what he's talking about and talking more than he thinks and getting himself way in over his head against people he had no business talking to and had no business being in the cage with to begin with. That was an outclassing of the highest order. If Khabib doesn't jump out of that cage, you cannot sell that fight again. You can't. There's no way. The only reason why that fight will sell again is because Khabib jumped out of the cage. If he stays in the cage, does the interview, puts the hat on, the whole nine, you can't sell that fight again. It was too dominant of a performance. It wasn't even competitive. It wasn't competitive at all. Um, and further solidifying the point of the of the absolute, you know, hypocrisy of the UFC and the fact that they did not, you know, penalize Connor. Listen to these stats real quick, okay? If I told you somebody landed 96 total strikes in that fight, who would you think that was? Khabib. They're saying Connor McGregor landed 96 strikes no in that way. fight. Nope. Right, no if way. I told you if I told you somebody had 51 significant strikes, who do you think I'd be talking about? Uh, Khabib. They're saying Conor McGregor landed 96 of 128 strikes. They're saying he threw punches at a 75% accuracy level. 96 of 128. And then significant strikes, 51 of 81. You have got to be kidding me. That dude did not land but maybe five clean shots that entire fight. None of which were significant. Yeah, that, that, no, there's no way. That's a, I mean, I'm it, just going by. I know. I'm trying to think back. UFC official stats. Round. I'm trying to think back to the third round where he stood with him and Khabib still outstruck him. He didn't land 10 significant strikes yeah. in that round, let alone 10 significant strikes the entire fight, let alone 51. That's boat. That's nonsense. Nonsense. They're saying they're, they're saying Khabib landed 104 total strikes to Connor's 96. You mean to tell me that Khabib only landed eight more strikes than Connor McGregor? There, dude, that ground and pound was 30 plus. <laughs> Bro, that's what I'm saying. It's dude, it's so crooked. They're so afraid of making him look bad. Oh my god. Yeah. Anyway, all right. We're at an hour. Uh, that's going to do it for the Tuesday touchback. I'm glad everybody's still riding with us. I appreciate you guys. We've got big show on Friday. Um, we're on a big comeback spot, and we got another special guest. Um, you know, you guys have the the feedback has been universally positive. Uh, on last Friday's episode, having uh, Shorty Torres come on, his fight picks were spot on. And the guy's insight, you know, I mean, everything from training with Khabib and knowing what Khabib was about to training with Formiga. I mean, just fantastic insight. Uh, you know, the guy's got stories for days. There's no doubt about it. He's been there and he's seen it. Um, so hopefully you guys got quite a bit from that. We've got a lot of other stuff in the works, but we've got a big show for you on Friday as well. Wink, wink. Um, and we're in a big comeback spot. We're a big bounce back spot. So it's you got Bellator this weekend on not this weekend. You got it on Friday. We're not going to cover the Bellator picks. Um, you got a ton of heavyweight action on Bellator on Friday. Just enjoy the fights. Um, Mitrione versus Bader, Chael versus uh, Fedor, and who's the other one? Roy Nelson versus Sergey Karatanov, I believe, is what it is. Fantastic group of heavyweight fights. Um, you know, just spitballing off the top of my head. I like Mitrione. I like Fedor and Roy Nelson. Thoughts? Oh, yeah. I mean, you got to ride with big country. Uh, for sure, Matt Mitrione. We've been fans of Matt Mitrione ever since we saw him fight in Pittsburgh. We actually got to see him fight live. Uh, yeah. That works for me. Yeah, low key one of the better personalities in the sport. Oh, Lo I mean, sure. the, the, the guy's hilarious. He's absolutely hilarious. 
Um, and he's a good fighter too. He's really come into his own. Um, he carries his hands lower than I want him to, but you know, he's a big, he's a big guy. He's an athlete. He's quick. He's, he's agile. Um, I like him a lot. Uh, and I like him in that fight against Bader. I don't know what Bader will look like at heavyweight. So that'll be interesting to see. And uh, Fedor versus Chael is, if I'm being honest, is a fight I don't care about. Um, Chael can absolutely win that fight, but he's been a little gun shy with getting hit lately. If Fedor can come out, maybe put a couple shots on him. I think he might turtle him up, but uh, again, just stay away from it. Enjoy the fights on Friday, everybody. Uh, and we'll have a new big episode for you guys Friday morning until that. What's the Thursday night game this week? So that's a loaded question. Okay. I'm on, honestly, I'm not sure. I haven't, I, okay. Cause I knew last week well, was well, new England, but that's my brain is honestly just mush after this weekend. So, um, We'll look up the Thursday night game, see if there's anything interesting. Check the Instagram page, uh, Fistful of Cash, and see, you know, we, we might put a little a degenerate play up there or something like that. Philadelphia. Other than that, there you go. Philadelphia at New York. Yes, I'm probably going to avoid that one. Uh, maybe see what Odell's um, individual receiving yards is at. Yeah. Something like maybe, that. That might be something. Maybe a player, may have, maybe a player prop or something like that. Um, yeah, so other than that, guys, that's it. Um, follow us on all your social media accounts. Like, subscribe, review on iTunes. Um, and if you feel so inclined, navigate over to Patreon page, Fistful Cash. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Fistful of Cash. That's all I got. I will uh, talk to you guys on Friday. Yeah, guys, again, Friday, we've got a special surprise for you guys. Uh, make sure you tune in. As always, uh, as we here at the Fistful Cash Podcast like to say, clear eyes, full fist, can't lose. Can't lose.